Welcome to season two, episode three of the Building Builders podcast, a podcast made for contractors. Today's guest is Steve Del Orto, a 26 year construction industry veteran who has worked on notable projects such as the Golden State Warriors Arena and Development, Salesforce Tower, and Facebook San Francisco Park Tower. Currently, Steve is the CEO of Concentric, the construction industry's first holistic pre-construction platform that unifies data, processes, and project stakeholders. In this conversation between Steve and Kevin, topics include how he grew in his career from an intern to regional vice president of the West Coast team, taking a new and innovative way to bidding and pitching on big projects that led to 60% win rate, and how he thinks about running a tech company like Concentric versus project management of construction. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Now, let's get into the episode with Steve. Steve, um, great to have you here. Uh, It's been a while. Thank you for joining the Building Builders podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's great to see you. Yeah, likewise. Um, Steve, to, to get started here, would love uh, for our listeners to learn a little bit more about your your career path and, you know, where kind of more humble beginnings all the way up to, uh, you know, um, some of the, the larger projects uh, that you've been on. That could be a long, that could be a long <laughs> segment, Kevin. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it, you know, somewhat succinct, but... Uh, yeah, you know, my uh, career was uh, working for one company for 26 years as a general contractor and kind of fell into it through an internship and, uh, you know, learned a lot. Came up through the gra- the ranks, worked for a lot of great individuals that as mentors, you know, I just learned a lot from and I was able to draw from multiple mentors and their personalities and what they their strengths their weaknesses and i always just made a point to you know take the strengths from everybody and just try to adopt that and and build myself and i figured with that kind of a composite um you know i was just drawing from the best you know the best of the best um came up through more operational roles project manager you know, played a lot of time out in the field as a as a superintendent without being an official as superintendent, um, which I enjoyed. You know, particularly that because you're there with the workforce that is actually building the building, and that gave me a lot of perspective at a very very early stage in my career because you know what you see from time to time are some young people come in and you know they they're the general contractor and they have this perceived authority. And they just come at it from the wrong way with the workforce. Like they're telling people what to do and all of this stuff. And I just, uh, just wasn't raised that way. You know, as an army brat, and, you know, you just you definitely learn and are conditioned to respect your elders, respect people above you, uh, that know, you know, more than you, et cetera. So some of my fondest memories are just literally working with the foreman of a subcontractor and just saying, I want to absorb and learn your craft as much as I can. And the only thing I want you to do is tell me what are the things in your way and I'm going to go resolve those. And so just tell me what I can do to pave the way for you to be productive and, you know, just a lot of good mutual respect earned. And I'm a big believer that you need to earn that respect and, and, you know, successful doing that. And so construction, I learned, in a very early stage is very much a people business. It's relationships. It's just really getting things done with people as a team. Um, and that I think did well for me. I, I, I moved out of being kind of being, uh, 
on a single project to being an executive and a vice president with broader responsibilities across many projects and then had the opportunity to take on a, a real P&L responsibility of a, of a business unit while I was out in the Western region. And through there is where, you know, I achieved some pretty fantastic growth stories with being, you know, part of the leadership that grew a, a region from a few hundred million and really championing the strategy to drive it to $2 billion and more on a sustained basis. And kind of the growth within that from geographical plays that we made to break into new cities and ultimately drive not just revenue because construction, if you're just top line focused, you're going to get into trouble really quick. You've got to really manage and, and optimize your bottom line because the margins are so thin and realistically execution is critical to make sure that you're not writing that down what I learned also very early in my career is the value of the front end of the of the business in terms of planning the work, the budgeting and estimating involved and in, in, in managing the design and working with the designers because you have very specific goals. You got time to market. You got a budget. Nobody has a blank checkbook, no matter what they think. And so you've got to take this blank canvas and continuously enhance you know, the painting on the canvas to the point where you and your company are willing to really place the bet. I will guarantee at this point, we will get your job done on this date for this amount of money. And if I have it all wrong, it's coming off uh, out of my profit. And if I get it really wrong, it's coming off of my balance sheet. So it's pretty high stakes. Um, I'm going to pause there because I know I just threw a lot in there, Kevin. So tell me which, uh, which fork in the road of my career you want me to Elaborate, Steve. It's so uh, honestly, it really is just so impressive, and congratulations. Um, you know, I guess I'm curious. You know, if if there's any you know young, uh, ambitious uh, interns right now, what would your advice be? Uh, you know, for them to follow a similar career path. Um. Well, I would say, look, as an intern, you have an opportunity to just insert yourself, just say, give me more, give me more, give me more and take it and do great things with it to the best of your knowledge, the best of your ability, raise your hand and ask questions. But ultimately, um, as an intern, I think it's the assertiveness in which you just really push yourself to learn and be a, a help. Nobody expects much out of an intern because, you know, what it. What do they really know to be able to jump into like everyday work life? But when you have somebody that just comes in and is like, I'm just here to make it happen. I'm not going to be shy. I'm not going to be asking for you to tell me how to loop tie and then ultimately tie my shoe, you know, appreciate that independence. And I think I've mentioned this all throughout my career is there's the intangible fire in the belly. And I right. think first order of business, if you're going to come into this business, an intern or at whatever level, be honest with yourself. If you don't have the fire in your belly yeah. to make things happen and be accountable and push forward and solve problems and take all kinds of craziness coming your way and just try to make, um, you know, some degree of certainty out of chaos, then just find a different line of work. Uh, Cause you have to ha to be successful in, the construction industry at large, 
which includes a lot, you have to have fire in the belly. That's the, that's the only way you're going to really truly excel. So that would be my advice. I, I've, I've heard that, uh, that saying before the fire in the belly and like, it's, uh, that that's hard to, that's hard to learn. That's kind of something that you have. And, you know, it, another way to talk about it is maybe like some, some ambition and like, you know, um, grit is, is, you know, another yep. word that reaches in there. Um, but I, I think, you know, what I was hearing from you is, Hey, if you are that person, if you're, you've got fire in the belly, you're ambitious, you've got a lot of grit, take every learning opportunity, put your hand up, learn everything you can prove that you can do it, prove to yourself, prove to everyone else, show the work ethic. Uh, and you know, that kind of is just using that fire in the belly. I think that's what you're saying. It is all wrapped in one. <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, so, <laughs> Steve, did you did you always know you wanted to move up in the company like this? Was this your goal from day one? Yep. Really. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, once I once I, I mean, I fell into an internship. I worked for, for some great people, um, you know, small projects turned into bigger projects, turned into multiple projects, but I kind of figured out the business of construction. You know, I, I love how buildings go together and um, totally get into that. But more importantly, I just figured out, all right, it is a business. And, you know, the, the developer or the owner has an outcome that they need. Um, financially and otherwise, you know, the designers, you know, they, they're in it for a profit, but also to have their, you know, vision turn into, you know, reality. And, you know, the GC is taking an incredible amount of risk to provide a service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think people don't quite appreciate how much risk they're taking for what little return they do get. But I saw the, I understood the business and I, just like my advice to the intern, I was just seeking every which way to learn every facet of the business. When I was a PM, I was in the bid room taking trades and being an estimator, even though that was, I was doing it kind of after hours. My full-time job was being in the, you know, on the, pro in the project trailer. Um, but that was my way of learning the front end of the business. I'm glad I did because that allowed my career to to grow and take on a, a much wider spectrum of responsibility and then the leadership to, you know, really take and guide a multi-billion dollar top 10 general contractor and really drive change within it on how, you know, we select work, how do we set the job up for success, how do we ultimately, you know, execute and, and higher level strategies to, to foster that and to grow that in a, in a, an aggressive but responsible way and you know it i mean what i loved about what i was able to accomplish led on to my now second career because we achieved a lot of that success both in the growth at the top line but more importantly by growing our margins you know mm -hmm. gc's margins are quite meager they're definitely in the low single digits and we were able to um, improve our margins by 44 percent which is a lot. And I, you know, a lot of that was the focus on setting the table for success in the front end of the business, because we just naturally positioned ourselves to do the type of work 
or the owners and architects, you know, you were being brought in early to be a part of that collaborative team, whether it's a design build project or just a construction manager uh, taking the risk eventually. But um, the focus on that is where, you know, my, like I said, the second half of my career has, has pivoted and uh, there's a huge opportunity and, uh, you know, it's, it's been quite enjoyable to take all that experience, that knowledge, and then apply it to something that can be more systematized and usable by the industry for the benefit of the industry. Um, so it's a different scale and it's a, just a different lens to look through. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a fascinating alternative to what my, you know, first half of my career was. So it sounds like you're, uh, that, that fire in the belly still exists and you're, you're just, uh, continuing to put your hand up and learning along the way. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of learning. <laughs> uh, so Steve, with this career path, was it, is it like pretty linear? Um, or if you started as an intern, you know, made it to SVP, did you, you knew your goal before you wanted to get, did you know the path at the beginning or any surprises along the way? Um, you know, I think the, uh, Man, you stumped me, Kevin. It's not <laughs> linear. It's not linear, but it's not not predictable, right? It's right. the the you know if you just think it's simply of like okay this position, then you get promoted to this, and then you get promoted to this, and there's that. That's right. fairly easy to track in the construction world. Every company's got a different flavor, but it's more or less the same. Yeah. Um, I guess what I didn't expect or predict, but certainly was positioned to take advantage of was the fact that um, I did work for some great individuals and they, they gave me a lot of rope and I could within a big um, well-established mature company mm -hmm. operate in a very entrepreneurial way within that. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of benefits to that. There can be limitations, but as long as it's balanced, um, I was able to do it because I think a lot of people created an environment for me to be able to do that. But then eventually you, you do start to see things differently and you see different opportunities and some people can't see that either. So, uh, you know, there's some twists and turns where I look back today and I go, man, I never would have thought that I would have maybe diverged from what I kind of grew up with. And then, you know, you sit there and then you turn around and you look at it and you, you know, you kind of look at it in a, in a, in a different way and go, wow, I, you know, I, I think much differently now. I think much bigger, more broadly. And there's just a lot of different ways to be thinking about these things. And so those maybe would be the more indirect twists in my career path, but, you know, within the traditional construction, um, you know, occupation, it's, it's pretty predictable. It's pretty predictable. They can be. But what I would also caution is I think the younger generations do have a tendency to say, okay, I'm at this title. Give me the eight boxes I need to check. And when I check them, I expect to go to the next title. And 
you know, I always struggled with that as a manager and as a leader because it's not just about checking the boxes. It's really about absorbing all of those lessons. And some of them, you know, it's good to get beat up a little bit. And, um, you know, you've learned a lot of valuable lessons. You kind of test yourself and know how you're going to react to situations. And sometimes you just got to give that time. And I think construction is a very experiential-oriented, you know, occupation. You, you can't just read a textbook and then go out and do. And because it's people-oriented, you, you have to know what you're talking about to earn other people's respect. And if you don't spend the time to be a student of that and help take however long it takes to ultimately truly master it, then you're not going to necessarily get that at respect. But if you just plow through it like it's about checking boxes, I think you're really missing the fun in the industry, quite honestly, because what, what industry has the physical stuff, steel, concrete, all the material and structural engineering and the craziness that goes into that, accounting, you know, you got billions of dollars flowing. There's a lot of accounting that goes in involved and some lower level, I'm not going to claim that there's a lot of high finance, but, you know, there's lower level uh, finance involved in how you should be thinking about things. And, you know, in, in a span of five minutes or 30 minutes, you could be talking to a billionaire developer who <laughs> just is super successful and super smart and thinks super differently. And then you got, you know, maybe there's a laborer that's tugging on you because they need something to finish, you know, doing some physical labor on the job site. And so you can just very quickly pivot from one world to a different, you know, conversation and, and like with whiplash. And so you learn all these things, both knowledge and, you know, technical knowledge, as well as people and, you know, call it emotional IQ however you would want to capture that it's uh there's not that many industries that or professions that require so many different almost professions baked into one to be effective so it's uh <clears throat> so I, as you know i'm i in a slightly different area of construction now but like coming from the space and just hearing you you talk about it i miss being out there on those job sites and having those conversations you know the two different ones that you just described and it really is a, a such a great career and uh the, and very complex very very different things every single day and every minute on the job site you know while you're talking all i could think about was um the large impact that you could have with like you know, various, you know, like quick, small decisions, like unloading a very large piece of equipment on, on a road. And, you know, say you're working in downtown Vancouver and, you know, need to shut down a road for five minutes. That's a really, really high impact thing, but you're mm -hmm. doing something very significant. That's also very high impact as well. It's a, it's an exciting space for sure. And, you know, I think what you just brought up is a great like physical example. And I think that's when people think of construction and, impact and all of that. I was just having the conversation last night with some friends of a company that I used to compete against day in and day out. So here we are, we're having dinner and, and they're a customer. Right. So it's really interesting. But we were all talking about how there's this like ex excess focus on the construction phase and the and the and the, the steel and the concrete and the physical nature of that. And that's 
what drives a lot of people down that particular career path. And there's far fewer people that um, make a career out of the being an estimator or a pre-construction professional in any capacity, whether you're managing design, whether you're a, just, a, just a trained estimator, a quantity surveyor, or a combination of all of those things. And I think, you know, my experience and I always felt the need to champion the cause, they're so unappreciated. You know, the impact that that front end team has on the built environment is they, they themselves can be oftentimes the difference between whether a project is financially viable, you know, does it pencil? Yeah. And if they can't like figure it out and make it work or, you know, then the job doesn't go forward. And it's such an important role. And it's, um, I find it to be um, one that's underappreciated and, uh, and it's, and it's different, you know, when you're, when you're a, a project manager or a superintendent, you have a plan, you're executing that plan day in and day out. It's pretty well scripted. You're obviously dealing with curveballs every day, but you got a plan and, and your success is measured by, did you achieve, you know, these goals? Did you hit the date? Did you hit the budget and profit expectations? Whereas on the front end, the art is you've got people that are dealing in very conceptual stuff from day one, and then they're maturing that and developing that design with more and more detail and that budget with more and more detail. And they have to really mentally think through how it ought to be built. What do I need to factor in from a cost perspective to enable it to get built, even though that doesn't really show up on the drawings? How do I get out of that client? What are their true objectives? What are their needs? What's the ROI and how do we maximize that for them? And if you just think about that, it's super abstract and there's very few people that truly are geared to, to, to do that and do that well. And there's people in our industry that are doing that daily and it's absolutely amazing. And it's the, it is literally the thing that sets a company, not just a project, but a company up for winning or going bankrupt. I mean, it lies with them. And so, you know, as we talk about career paths, as we just talk about the industry, you know, I'm here to really celebrate that role and just st stress how important the people that plan the work, budget the work, design the work, how hugely valuable they are to the process and the outcomes. And, um, you know, I think we all need to do more to support that uh, career path and, and support the people that are doing it with whatever they need. I really couldn't agree more, uh, Steve, for sure. That's, that is a big part of, uh, you know, what we talk about here on, uh, on our Building Builders podcast is just the really great people out there every single day and the impact that they're having and uh, mm -hmm. uh, celebrating the, you know, their success. This podcast is brought to you by Dozer, an online marketplace for heavy equipment rentals across North America. Partnering with thousands of rental houses, Dozer provides contractors with access to local suppliers, transparent pricing, and mobile ordering. Go to dozer.com to find your next heavy equipment rental. That's D-O-Z-R.com. Steve, you mentioned a little bit about estimating, uh, which kind of leads me into my next question. Um, 
I have a note here saying that you won 60% of your bids. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Is, is that possible? Well, keep in mind, uh, bids are one thing, you know, that's can be oftentimes a roll of the dice, you know, and that's why most companies are starting to really get away from this bidding environment because mm -hmm. the real value a company can add as a builder keeping on with the talent that I was just talking about on the front end is yep. being involved early before the design is even halfway baked and really help guide the decision-making and how to really more effectively keep the design, the budget objectives and the design and the, the projected estimated costs more closely aligned to avoid all those surprises. And, you know, the industry has to the greatest extent they can gotten away from the hard bit because the owner and the designer are doing all of that in more or less a vacuum. Then they get right. the drawings ready to bid, meaning they've got a permit shovel ready and they put it on the street. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's no value to be added. And in fact, it just becomes a race to the bottom. Who's going right. to, who's going to take it for the least amount of profit? Who's going to, you know, basically, you're motivated or incentivized to only factor in what you can see and point to in the drawings and in the specifications. So there's all kind of, there's no perfect set of drawings and you're just setting the project up for arguments and even worse. So where we were successful was saying, you know what, we don't need to be in that kind of contentious part of this business. And there's just not enough of that type of work to, to chase and consume anyway. Let's be more, you know, position for the collaborative delivery where we can be appreciated for the value that we bring. We can control our own destiny or influence our own destiny on project outcomes. And it's just a much smarter way of doing business. So when we would go after that work, it was all best value oriented. And that's about, do you have the right team? Do you have the right idea? Do you have the right, you know, company wise, do you have the right track record and reputation and experience with that type of building product type, whatever. And yes, when we said, you know, out of the whole list, when we said, all right, here's the projects we're going to focus on and commit to chase, we won 66%. We were, we were averaging 66% of a win rate when we, you know, really focused and set our mind to winning that work. And that's all about understanding the customer's needs, the client. That's about really understanding the product type, but that's also about having the very best team assembly of people that can be, you know, morphed into a team if they haven't worked together and then, you know, helping set the table for success. And if you can demonstrate that, and if the owner can be convinced of that, then you win. Um, and that's where we were successful was showing the owner something different than what they were seeing with maybe the three or four other companies we were competing against. And that's where I think, and we've already proven that new, you know, my, my company, my software company, you know, there's, there's a big, there's a big gap in how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, everybody's got the people that can build it in a given amount of time and they've got the resumes, but from the front end and the planning, it's just this big white space and nobody's had a very good answer for it. Oh, you know, I've done this project a million times. I can't really tell you, you know, when we started it, the, the budget was this. When we ended, it was that. I can't really tell you what happened in between. Um, but with the ability to demonstrate to an owner, hey, I have a process 
in this digital way. I've got all the data from all of my projects that I can bring to bear in an automatic way. And I can communicate with you in a way that you're going to easily understand and be able to digest the myriad thousands and thousands of cells and spreadsheets and workbooks. And I mean, people today are just throwing Excel spreadsheet and ad hoc document on top of each other. And they're just saying, Hey, you know, here it is. This is the plan. And this is, this is the number. And you can read all through that stuff in your leisure to be convinced that's the right number. Nobody, nobody even knows how to do that. So why not do it in a different way and take all of that talent, lessen their load because to do all that documentation, you're talking about yeah. tens, dozens, hundreds of people hours spent just preparing all that, all that stuff, that's data, make it automatic. And that's what we've done. And so you can take all of that legacy project data, bring it forward, huge value to an owner, you know, proof positive of, Hey, over the last five or 10 other jobs, similar to this, I can yep. triangulate and know that, all right, I'm kind of in the neighborhood, hugely assuring. And then visualization of where I am across the entire journey and also being able to visualize what are my options? If I need to go left, if I need to go right, if I'm over budget, if I'm under budget, lay out the options in front of me in real time and help me continually optimize, uh, you know, the returns or my objectives. And then how do we better communicate? All of that sets you apart to differentiate, to win the work, because what owner is going to not want, you know, the, the more modern machine as opposed to, you know, somebody who's um, spinning a, a square wheel made out of stone. Um, and then, you know, how do you do it in a way that you're taking less risk? You know, you have opportunities to de-risk the deal as you go. And how do you leverage your own data to give you the confidence that you can be very precise and you know that you can deliver for a given range? And right. people right now are dealing with ranges like this. It's right. contingency and rounded up number and all kinds of everything else. And you're just layering in a tremendous amount of fat and it's not for profit. It's everybody to try to protect their profit because they know they're going to, they think they're going to get hit left and right with unknowns. We have the, we have the data is, is exists. It's just not in a format and it's not structured to do anything with it. So imagine how powerful it is and how we can eliminate that layer of fat to something far more predictable. And then think about how many projects can actually go forward. How many schools, how many hospitals, how many, how many things that our society desperately needs that people just can't do because they don't think they have enough money to do it. And it's, I think it's a bit of a tragedy that a lot of work doesn't happen because we're just dealing with so much imprecision and we, we have the ability to, you know, to be a little bit more precise. I mean, we're sending people to the moon um, 50 years ago. 60 years ago, however long ago it was. And here we are, you know, still thinking Excel is the, the only way to go. So this is your, your company concentric. I'm saying, yep, that, right? right? It is. And, uh, you're the CEO there now. Is it any major differences, uh, you know, being in the tech space and being the CEO of a, a tech company uh, versus uh, your previous career? Yes and no. I mean, um, Obviously, the easy answer is yeah, it's way different. I mean, software versus building buildings. But once I got into it, I actually had some 
close friends, not in the construction industry, but more in the tech and startup world. And I'm like, Steve, do you know how to do structural engineering? Did you do the structural engineering for Salesforce Tower? No. And, you know, was, the light bulb went off. Well, software follows a similar development path as the architecture and the design of a building. And what I was really good at was managing the business of build, getting that building built. I didn't build it. I was managing the business of getting it built, which involved a team, which involved a vision and a mission of this is where we need to go and let's just guide every decision to achieve the objective. Um, and, you know, the general design process and how you go about that, resources and all of that is, you know, very similar conversation. So um, doing, building a software platform for construction and how you right. plan buildings is not that too dissimilar. I don't think it's, I certainly, I don't think it's for everybody, you know, mm -hmm. leaping from that into software. Uh, I can tell you there's nobody else probably crazy enough to make that leap necessarily, particularly at my stage of the career. But um, I never regretted it for a second because it is pretty fascinating. And what better way to make an impact uh, across an industry, not yeah. just building by building and changing skylines, which I did. But how do you how do you change the industry that I grew up in that I love and, and, and you know, make it better, make it better for a lot of people. You know, that's, that's, that's what really we're setting out to do. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun there. Um, I, I want to touch on real quickly. You, you mentioned, you know, changing skylines. I've, uh, you know, you were, you were part of the management team of some super impressive high profile projects like Chase Center, um, home of the Golden State Warriors, uh, Salesforce Tower, um, uh, uh, San Francisco, uh, Facebook, San, San Francisco Park Tower. What what stands out about these projects? What was it like being part of these, you know, these projects? Um, for all of them, really, you know, it was always fun walking the job and being associated with them. I mean, keep in mind, I had a, I was fortunate to have a fantastic team on all of them that built it. You know, they get all the credit for the end result, but you know. Early on, my role, you know, as you know, as the executive officer, is to make sure we have the right resources and the right, you know, we're committed and supporting the job however we need to, and that includes making sure the table is set. And that's where I spent in that role with all of those jobs, way more time, because supporting that team and thinking through the strategy of the design and, you know, the decision-making, the timing of how to go to market to the subcontractor community to get the best results for everybody. I mean, it's, it's like a game of 3d chess sometimes. And I just loved it. And so, um, you know, I'm in San Francisco in the city today. And every time I coming in, you know, I get to see the towers and I get a glimpse of right. the chase center and, I can say that for every major city up and down the West Coast and some on the East Coast. And uh, it's rewarding. It's rewarding to know that I had a hand in it, but I will never take credit for the actual construction because the credit goes to the team. It's always about the team. But uh, I just love the fact that I had a hand in it. And uh, I can recount 
many, many stories, you know, from every of these experiences and the twists and turns you go through. And, you know, that's, that's the fun part of the business. I know we've got you for a limited time. Um, maybe one last question. Um, we ask everyone, what, what's your favorite piece of equipment? I should have expected that from you, Kevin. Um, oh, man. Well, you know, you can never go wrong with a tower crane because the tower cranes, um, I think we were building L.A. Live, and it may have been Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was the governor. It could have been the L.A. mayor at the time. But uh, somebody used the phrase that that was the state bird of California because we had so many tower cranes on the skyline. And they're just very visible. But my very first project, um, huge site work project, and we had a, an excavation subcontractor. And again, I was the young pup. I was showing respect, and I got along great with the superintendent that was running. I mean, we were doing miles of utilities. We were blasting rock, we were dynamite on site, blowing things up and moving tons of dirt. And he let me get into, you know, a, a, a um a backhoe and uh, an excavator. And I was able to, you know, grab a scoop of dirt, dump it over here. And you know, it was like a kid with a Tonka truck in a, in a sandbox. And, you know, when you're got those joysticks in your hand, you realize, Oh man, the guys that do this day and doubt have some skills. I mean, some of those guys can literally scratch your nose with the tooth of a bucket. I mean, it's fascinating here. I was like, Plunk and you know half a bucket and turn around all jerky yeah. but you do appreciate the skills that our workforce have operating all sorts of equipment so i guess two pieces a tower crane and that was the other story the tower crane got to go up in a few of those every once in a while and you're oh, sitting wow. in a cab mm-hmm. and when they pick something that tower crane bends quite a bit so you're like whoa i'm you know oh, we yeah. were a lot I didn't get to go up into the cab of the tower crane on Salesforce tower. Cause that thing stood at about <laughs> 1100, 1150 feet. Um, but some of the other buildings, you know, you, you get to operate it a little bit and you pick just a, you know, a toolbox and right. not a light thing, but not the heaviest thing that it picks and just to feel and experience, you know, how much that thing moves and bends. Like, I don't know if I need to do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huge respect for those operators, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. Steve, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, being on here with us. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, following along uh, um, and seeing how uh, things are going with uh, Concentric. Kevin, you're doing great things at Dozer. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we didn't touch on any of the stuff that I do in the venture capital space or any of the advisory work I do, but just seeing how successful you guys are, are you know, have always set out to be, but certainly are achieving is, is awesome to watch. So it's, um, um, I applaud you. Um, and hopefully I can be like you, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you, Steve. Really appreciate it. That's uh, very kind. Thanks again. Right. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Steve about life at a large general contracting company and pre-construction strategies. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or watch all of our episodes on YouTube. 
and make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. All links to Steve, including his LinkedIn and Concentric website are provided in the description of this episode. Thanks again for tuning in and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.